Hello and welcome to the Bankers podcast series, Banking in Transition. I'm David Robinson, online editor at The Banker, and today I'm speaking with Tom Merry, Managing Director for Banking Strategy at the consultancy Accenture. Tom, welcome. Thanks, David. Great to be here. Today, we're going to discuss the shift from divergence to convergence in everyday banking. In March, NatWest announced an overhaul of its core retail banking business in a bid to reclaim a market share from some of the fintechs that have been eating away at its margins. Some of the changes the banks made included uh, making staff available for longer hours, introducing new investment products for for less affluent savers, and boosting the size of its credit card business. Tom, would you see NatWest move as an example of this shift from divergence to convergence? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's a really good example of this from an incumbent angle. And I think, you know, what we'll explore today is um, my sense is that we're seeing a shift, a shift away in the industry from divergence, whereby the neobanks for many years now have been trying to, I believe, carve a different path and be deliberately different to the large incumbent banks like NatWest Group. And I think we're now in a period where actually everyone's fighting for the same model, uh, the same end game digital model that is powered by next generation technology that's cheaper to run, that's more engaging for customers, but also crucially has some of the more traditional elements of making money in everyday banking that perhaps the NEOs haven't quite achieved today. So uh, NatWest, a good example of their journey uh, towards that end game model. And I think there are, there are examples on the neo banking side in the last 18 months as well, which have highlighted exactly that, that we're moving away from a model of divergence to a model of convergence. Interesting. So shall we start with the, the neo banks? Uh, what might be the advantages and disadvantages of this shift? Yeah, so the neo banks, in my opinion, have done you know great things um, for the banking industry in the last five uh, five or so years since they've been around. They've been a powerful disruptive force and, and generally uh, good for everyone. I think they've pushed the incumbent banks on. Uh, you know, what have they what have they um, been really successful at? Well, clearly, customer engagement, the customer experience, brand affinity, um, NPS, all things that they've. Um, they've been a, a very impressive on. Uh, they're certainly powered by some great technology that gives them a very low cost to serve and a degree of transformational agility that others wish they had. So there's lots to like about the neobanks. Um, but at the same time, there are some things that have been challenging. You know, they have a lot of secondary users. That is to say, uh, customers who have a primary account with incumbents but use the neobank as their secondary account. And that's been a challenge around attracting a scale of deposits. And we know that at the heart of banking for, for millennia, really, the balance sheet has been the way that you've generated revenues by having uh, both assets and liabilities at scale. So they have found it difficult to make um, sizable revenues and profits to date. Uh, I think they had a, when I talk about divergence, they did have one eye on a different model, which was more about customers and not necessarily so much net interest income. So balance sheet generated revenues, but other types of revenues through transactions, payments, referral fees into broader ecosystem partners. So um, there's lots to like about the neobanks. But I think at this juncture, what I'm seeing in terms of my reference to convergence is some of the gaps that have prevented them from being highly successful on a, on a, on a profitability basis are, are starting to be addressed. 
So if you look at what, for example, Starling has done so successfully in the last year around building out a lending business to balance up the credible deposit-taking business that it's had. If you look at Revolut's big efforts of getting a license and be able to attract more deposits and all the incentives it's giving to turn its secondary users into primary users. And further afield, if you look at this week, uh, Luna Bank's acquisition of Lendify as a good example, again, of a recognition they do need to take some of the great things they've got and back them up with some of the more traditional things that incumbent banks have got, like a balanced balance sheet and one at scale. Interesting. Um, a number of things there. Shall we just look at the incumbents for a second and where they fit into this? Yeah, and we talked about NatWest Group as, as one example, but there are many um, large incumbents and also some smaller incumbent banks. And they, they start in a different position, uh, David. You know, they have a number of strengths themselves, right, which has been borne out and proven through the COVID crisis. You know, a scale in terms of customers' balance sheet, uh, investment and through that scale they have pricing and funding power and indeed investment capacity you know they can invest to to drive significant change across the organization to my point earlier they have a breadth of products and services which gives them a balance sheet that is by definition very balanced um, but also at scale so they have the ability to make both traditional revenues but also um, some of the more contemporary or you know, newer uh, non-interest um, uh, revenues as well. So there's lots to, lots lots of foundational strengths of the incumbent banks, but at the same time they have their own challenges. So you know they are they are held back by legacy estate and technology, which means that they are too expensive. They the, the cost to serve is too high, and they're complex organisations. Uh, the result is the customer experience. They'd love to be more dynamic and impressive, like the neo banks on that front. And there is a degree of transformational inertia in these banks, despite having a lot of investment capacity. They are big juggernauts to move. So I think if you look at the incumbent banks, none of them will be satisfied with the position they find themselves in either. So you've got the neos who need to do something slightly different. You've got the incumbents who need to do some, something slightly different. But I think in, in, in going back to the theme of convergence, I think they are all striving for the same end game digital model. The two groups are sort of bumping into each other and learning from each other. This is a big question, but how might things pan out in the short, medium and long term as these trends unfold? It's a great question and I wish I, I, wish I knew the answer, um, but here's my, here's my thought. I think we're in a sort of a, an era of disruption, which is really only a staging post towards the long term. Um, in everyday banking, I should say, David, and this is really about everyday banking, that's important. There are obviously fintechs on the on the outside here in payments or in currency exchange, which are different. But in everyday accounts and primary current accounts, I think we're in a, a staging post era of digital disruption on the way to the long term. Now, it's important to note that as I've described where the neos are starting from the incumbents, their path forward is very different. So although they're driving for the same model, in my opinion, the route there is completely different, right? So if you're a neobank, this is about building balance sheet scale by attracting higher share of wallet and, and primary customers. It's about broadening your product and service offering to be able to achieve some of that balance sheet equilibrium and be able to make more traditional uh, net interest margins. 
and it's about turning kind of great customer advocacy into real primary usage and share of wallet. And if they do all of that whilst maintaining their cost to serve advantage and the great tech and the affinity that customers have, they will be in a really strong place. By contrast, the incumbents start from a different route and really their imperatives are all about accelerating uh, the, the modernization of their banks. So less worried about attracting new customers or broadening their product or service range or building trust. You know, they have that in abundance. They need to accelerate the shift to a new estate, decommission the legacy, use data and analytics to be more agile and drive a better, more personalized, more engaging customer experience and focus on relevance to customers. So I think they are going down two different paths. Now, along that route, it's very possible that some of both archetypes will, will struggle. And I think there is, there is expected to be some level of consolidation um, within some of the neobanks. We remember we talk a lot about some of the bigger neobanks, but remember there is quite a long tail of, of smaller fintech neobanks out there. So I, I expect there to be some level of consolidation, but there is a chance for both of these archetypes to be successful. But I think they're fighting on different fronts and, and trying to drive towards an end game model that neither of them have at the moment. Just to conclude, what are the three factors that might mean that some models triumph and some models fall by the wayside in the next few years? Um, I think from an incumbent perspective, it's going to be about how quickly um, they can address the, the cost to serve and that modernization agenda. I mean, there's an awful lot of uncertainty surrounding the UK economy for the next few years. So there's a lot of macro uh, environmental uh, circumstances that will will have a bearing on that, David. But for me, the incumbent banks is about how quickly they can show progress on that journey. Because if they're still at the same cost point, they're still as complex and they're still burdened by the legacy they've got today in three or four years' time, then with the with the current trend for revenues in everyday banking and margins and the outlook for the for the economy in general, they're going to be really struggling. Um, by contrast to the neo banks, I think the leading indicators here are about whether they really can turn customer affinity into um, larger balance sheets, in my opinion, and therefore revenues and profits ultimately. But you know, at the moment, they're a little bit stuck. They, they initially were very focused on customer acquisition at all costs. And now I think the challenge will be very quickly to shift the dial in terms of the business that those customers are doing, because customers alone aren't going to drive the right outcomes for a neobank. It needs to be customers behaving in the right way. I, you know, it, it's exciting on both fronts because I think there's huge opportunity ahead here. Um, but just to go back to my initial hypothesis, I think quite fascinating to see that if we flash back five or so years and we were talking about a divergent model and all these new entrants coming in to, to radically change the way everyday banking is done, my personal view is we're now seeing that flip slightly and there's concerted convergence on a single model. Difficult to get there for both neos and incumbents, a different journey, um, but you know, an exciting opportunity for, for both sets of players. Well, Tom, thank you so much for your time. So they're really interesting and trends will be following closely in the months and years ahead. Um, do keep up to date by subscribing to our weekly podcasts on iTunes, Spotify and Acast and follow our discussions at thebanker.com slash podcasts. Thank you very much. Thank you, David.
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.